Welcome to On the Edge of Equity, where every episode features crucial conversations centered on equity, diversity, and inclusion. But this isn't just talking the talk. It's about inspiring action, asking tough questions, and getting honest answers, because that's the only way that real change happens. Welcome again to On the Edge of Equity. It is a podcast that is powered by Athena Communications, a bold new discussion, having the critical conversations on equity, diversity, and inclusion. And I'm so excited to have the kind of guests that we have invited to join us in this conversation to build the work around empathy, inspire action, and drive real change. And I want to just offer um, to our listening audience that you are indeed uh, ready, getting ready for a treat today. We have Dr. Greer Jordan, who is joining us for this conversation. Dr. Greer, how are you? I am uh, ripping and running, as my mom used to say. (laughs) But it's all good. It is all good. We know that you are busy. There are lots of things that I am certain that you are juggling. So I just want to appreciate you in advance for taking the time with us today to have these important conversations. You are steeped in the work around equity, diversity, and inclusion. Can you share with us just from... Um, your own experience, just about your journey, your journey to Milwaukee and medical college in this role, but just share a little bit about your journey. Wow. Well, um, it's probably pretty eclectic. I actually started off my career in engineering, which I got interested in because I really liked the idea of being able to create innovative solutions to problems. And engineering seemed to be the way about going about doing that. Um, as I got deeper and deeper into engineering, I started to realize the product wasn't the problem. Sometimes it was the relationship between the people. <laughs> so I got very interested in organizations and how organizations function and how organizations can help people work together or not help people work together. Somewhere in there, I got an MBA because I wanted to understand the business aspect of what I was doing better, even as an engineer went on to get my PhD in organizational behavior because, again, I was interested in that interface of people and organizations and technology. And I had actually gone to get my PhD with the intention of studying what's called social technical systems. So the interface between people and technology and organizations. By the time I got to that point, all of the professors who were doing that work were gone (laughs) from the department. It happens. Folks, it happens when you're getting a PhD. Just be aware. So... I learned about an NSF advance grant that Case Western University had gotten, and it was focusing on um, women advancing in science and technology. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I've been a woman who's <laughs> who worked in, in technology as an engineer. I know personally about some of this stuff. And I just knocked on the professor's door who I knew had gotten the grant and asked, hey, could I be your research assistant? And fortunately, she said yes. And then I also had the opportunity. So my the professor who I knocked on the door and she let me be a research assistant to her was Dr. Diana Villamoria, who's now chair of the Department of Organizational Behavior. I think the first chair of the Department of Organizational Behavior, by the way. And also Dr. Deborah Plummer, who took me on in her consulting business. So that transitioned me into this type of work. Uh, sponsorship's really important. And that's how I got into the medical school slash healthcare space. 
So after that, the rest is kind of history. The rest is history. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just the progression in that field that, you know, brought me to Milwaukee as an opportunity to be like a vice president level, chief diversity officer level type of position. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. Like, you know, this span of your journey, both around people and technology and how all of that is contributes to how organizations really function. I think so much of what a lead around diversity within an organization is really about how you manage people and expectations and how an organization matters. Can you talk a little bit about your role now at the medical college doing this work and how that experience, those early experiences really influenced the way that you lead? Yeah. I mean, I think it goes, those early experiences, you know, even coming through the Detroit public school systems, for some reason, I was a person who observed what's that impact on the environment on people's behavior. Yeah, I mean, we have our individual locus of control, of course, but we also have our context. So I've always been kind of aware of that context. So, you know, as I approach my work here at the medical college, I approach it with that organiz first that organizational view. You know, where where is what is this organization trying to do? Because the people we allow into the organization, the behaviors we allow within the organization <laughs> are all of a function ultimately of what this organization is trying to accomplish. Almost like the organization functioning as one or organic unit, you know, with a lot of different parts. So I, I really kind of approach my work with that organizational group people interface in mind. I think I might be kind of unique as a chief diversity officer in focusing on a, that approach, but it was the approach I learned from my, my mentor and sponsor to pay attention to that first. So a, a lot of the work I've done at MCW has been around what what really are our goals, you know, establishing what our vision really is for equity, diversity, inclusion, which I put under the moniker of inclusive excellence. So what's really our vision? What's our long-term thing that we're really trying to accomplish and get people kind of rallied around that? Also, in terms of we lead leaders at every level of an organization. It can't just be the top. If you don't have the top, it's very hard to get things done. That's right. But if you don't have the people in the middle, right? I tell you, the middle is where initiatives go to die. They say that <laughs> culture eats strategy for lunch. No, the middle is where middle. initiatives go to die. Indeed. <laughs> yes. Indeed. So having those, focusing on having those leaders at all levels and then matching the learning to what the leaders need to accomplish. So many organizations, I think, make the mistake of starting with training. But if the people don't understand how they're supposed to be applying what they're learning, then they get cynical about it and you can actually do more harm than good. That's right. So, I mean, there was some training in place when I got there, but I leveraged that in terms of the people who were interested in that. I was never an advocate for making diversity training mandatory because I think it's a developmental thing that people need to do. Then matching that learning to the objectives of the organizations, what the roles are at the different people at different levels of the organization have really been the focus of a lot of my work. And then also on that equity piece, going back to it's been decades of disinvestment of institutions and organizations in the communities from which they need to draw talent. The programs that I came through when I came through school, it was interesting to just see them collapse behind me. You know, internships, particularly paid internships. 
that gives people an opportunity to put into organizations. A lot of that's gone. The labor unions having apprenticeship programs, a lot of that stuff disappeared. So I think we're at the stage where organizations and institutions have to go back and look back and you can't reap where you haven't sown. <laughs> so we need to go back and start to sow the seeds. So that's kind of a recap of the different areas that I've been focusing on, you know, over the last five years that I've been at the medical college. Well, let's just say that that's a lot of areas <laughs> that, you, <laughs> that both you have identified, but the impact. And I, I just want to lift this piece around the inclusive excellence that I truly appreciate. We are referencing all of this work around diversity inclusion and equity really as sort of this big umbrella that really is the equity journey. And so when you talk about the inclusive excellence, and I also want to just lift the piece that you said around having champions essentially at every level. So leadership buy-in is critical, but also being able to at that mid-level have buy-in, support, enthusiasm, what is that, how has that journey been to really sort of look at this work, but also have a real strategy around the middle portion? Having buy-in at the highest level is, you know, that's work, but also having that support and that drive beyond that is critical. You know, fortunately, when I came into MCW, there was engagement from the middle. It just wasn't spread across the middle, you know, so... Of course, you know, coming in and finding out who's where the readiness is and working with the people who are ready was important. So there was a diversity, equity, I mean, diversity, inclusion uh, advisory committee that was already in place. There was a military resource group that was already in place, a women's advocacy group that was already in place. So then it just became about, in my mind, how do we build the leadership capacity of those folks? So that's one piece. But to really kind of get at the middle, and I'll be honest, I don't know if this is going to work, <laughs> but the approach I've been taking is most of the middle is influenced by what is going to help them get their work done sure. and what is the work that they're charged to do. Mm-hmm. Getting different inclusion strategies and tactics integrated into the organizational goals was important, not just training, but actual actual initiatives, programs, changes in policies and procedures, getting getting that goal into the hands of people who were the implementers. Sure. So as the institution created their strategic framework, I was fortunate to be at the table to advocate for integrating inclusion goals into that framework. So we have a organizational strategy around um, health starts within. And with our health starts within institutional goal, there is a specific goal around inclusion practices and well-being practices that all of our top leaders are charged with, and they cascade that down. In fact, we're in the process of doing that cascade now. <laughs> what, what does that look like, Dr. Greer? Well, it looks like the institutional, here's the institutional strategy of health starts within. Under health starts within, what is the tactics? How are we going to help have a healthy MCW inside? Mm. Well, we have to pay attention to how people feel feel included, how our systems are included, how our promotion advancement systems uh, process inclusion, how, pe- how the environment that people are in have help people feel that they are included uh, and belonging. 
And then the well-being part. I see inclusion and well-being actually kind of shaking hands. Sure. You know, if you don't have that psychological well-being, if you don't feel safe in your environment, it's kind of hard to extend yourself to other people, frankly. You're kind of in survival mode. So those two goals go together. So we have a requirement in that goals of our leaders developing plans based on their unique needs of their departments. Mm-hmm. I'm in higher education, not corporate. <laughs> so I've got 94 different business units out there. Sure. So all see that are unique. So it gives them the opportunity. Here's the goal. You've got a lot of leeway about how you accomplish the goal based on what you see you needed within your particular unit. And then my department uses, works to give them the tools, knowledge, capabilities in order to develop their unique plans. Sure. So we, all of those departments are required to about 64 units required to develop these plans. We monitor them over the year. And then we actually analyze what people put in those plans in order to figure out, okay, where do we need to do, do more capacity building? Sure. So that's been my strategy around getting across levels in the middle kind of simultaneously by by cat those goals have to cascade across all these levels of system and then we engage the folks who are the on the ground implementers in order to help them work within their department to implement these goals that's just one example i'm really pleased to be able to say that out of all the five strategic um mcw areas there is some sort of inclusion or equity or diversity goal in every five of those major strategic areas. I just gave an example of one around that strategy of how it starts with that. Well, so much of what you've talked about, this multifaceted approach that is just one layer, is really about baking into the DNA of this organization the priority around inclusion, the priority around equity. Have you found as part of that experience, you know, I won't say that there's been disappointments along the way because there is in all of this, but what are the opportunities for for growth and change that you've seen as part of this work? Where, where are the real opportunities to grow? Have you seen that there's increased buy-in by staff and others across all of these units to really see the vision realized? Yeah, I'm going to just kind of concentrate maybe on one aspect of this that I think is important culturally. At least in MCW, and I was an ex-engineer, worked for Ford General Motors, so I've worked in these environments where professional competence is so important. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes one loses one's curiosity because one is expected to just come up with a solution. But when we talk about particularly equity, we have to think about that in a more complex systems way of like what is producing what's going on now. Mm-hmm. And one has to suspend sometimes that urge to problem solve sure. <laughs> That's good. and not to step back and be curious about, well, I might have a theory in my head about why things happen, but before I go and engage in my theory, I'm going to actually engage with the other person. I'm going to do the engagement work. And find out, (laughs) yeah, I'm going to do the engagement first. And it comes into our community engage, you know, where we're trying to take our community engagement strategy to start with. I know it sounds simple, but you need to talk with people and get to a certain point in the relationship with people where they really are telling you, really talking about what the actual need is 
not what people's wants are. <laughs> we can usually address people's needs. It's very complicated to develop to address wants because usually wants is a surrogate for a need, and it can be expensive. But if we can get together around the needs, we can get more synergy. So, I mean, if I was to sum it up, I would think I would say the main thing has been us learning how to step back into curiosity and not do a knee-jerk reaction to our, our you know, professional competence, you know, what the literature says. I really love the, what you have lifted around curiosity and conversation and engagement and listening um, because so much of this work is not performative or it should not be performative. So much of this work is about connecting, <laughs> connecting in our humanity. And so stepping in a place where it is about the empathy that we bring, but it is about also engagement to understand what are some of those needs and hopes. Talk a little bit about this piece of how you are building this inclusivity, understanding, um, and helping leaders to become more inclusive, helping them to learn how to engage more. How, how are you and your team seeing that realized? Actually really listening to people inside the organization. And, and even how the goal is set up is set up where people can look at their unique cir circumstances and be empowered to address what they think is important to address. And I'm hoping by modeling this modeling this internally, it will also provide a model for how we engage externally. Sure. As an Office of Diversity and Inclusion, I'm not imposing a particular solution on people. I'm not saying, oh, it's mandatory that you go and do this training even though you have no idea how this connects to anything else that you do. I'm trying to model what I want how I think is important for us to engage externally, internally. So I think that's that approach has been very important. There are a lot of conversations, presentations, 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 <laughs> you know, going on with various groups. Sure. We're becoming known as that group to come to and consult to. I have to let people go through and try to solve it themselves Absolutely. and then say, oh, I don't really quite know, and then come to us sometimes. I, I have to leave room for people to make their own, you know, their own mistakes. And absolutely, we learn too, you know, in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. You know, some of the things that we think will work won't work right. for different departments. It's been a lot of individual and group level conversations mm -hmm. in order to figure out what people need in order to really engage and also for people to start to grasp how diversity can really help the organization succeed. Mm -hmm. This isn't charity work. That's right. <laughs> this isn't, you know, oh, please, oh, let's help the underserved. This is important to the survival of the institution. Indeed. And it is a way for us to actually be a better institution. There is no question. And I think what you've talked about is that this work is not for the faint at heart. <laughs> this work is for all of us to be deeply engaged um, and to work this. Talk a little bit about, just in the, the time that we have left, talk about this fight for justice and equity, as you've talked about modeling for others and allowing people the, you know, the 
the space and the journey to contend with issues that might be difficult or challenging. How is this fight for justice or fight for equity or this journey for equity really impacted you personally as well as professionally? Well, you know, the first thing, yeah, I'm trying to come up with a succinct answer, but what's salient for me, the one thing I've been trying to work on is actually my language. So I come from engineering. There was a lot of swearing and <laughs> and, and a lot of war metaphors. I mean, in fact, people thought that I served in the military because uh, I used so many war metaphors and football and sports metaphors, you know. And, and the first thing I'm trying to do is change my metaphors. I've been reading Adrian Marie Brown, you know, my homegirl from Detroit, <laughs> an emergent strategy, and, and just think, and Margaret Wheatley and other scholars around you know, an organic approach to organizations. I've been trying to change my language because when I think of it as a fight, then I automatically put the other person as an adversary. So I'm not going to hear them. So that's just one thing that I've been doing. I've been shifting from not a default position, even around when I see something that's not fair and I'm upset about it, that seems not fair. You know, my instinct is, okay, go fight it. But at the end of the day, the vast majority of us are just trying to get through our day. You know, so if I set them up as an adversary right at the beginning, then I just stay in my woundedness and they stay in their woundedness. So, I mean, that's taking that reframe. Yes. If I take that reframe, then I can kind of step back and say, okay, well, what's this is unfair. This seems unfair. Mm. I don't think the majority of people go around thinking, oh, I'm going to be unfair today. Yes. <laughs> and then we can start to together deconstruct what's going on. Sure. Not me imposing upon them my judgment my, sure. of what's going on. And consequently, them not imposing that judgment on me or my group around what's going on. So I'm not quite answering your question, but I'm just going to describing the shift yeah. that I've been yep. making, mm -hmm. you know, it, because, I mean, especially in society today, what I see is we have very vast different of a, difference of, of, of viewpoint and experience around what is fair. And it, we're not going to bridge that without having that conversation about, well, how did how did you get to your conclusion that that was fair? Right. How am I getting to my conclusion that that is fair? Is there a different ground? Because where fairness, both of us can yeah, coexist. It's subjective. Yeah, the fairness coexisting. Side. Yeah, and if we don't agree that we need to coexist, right, or that we're mutually dependent, it's hard to even get into the conversation in the first place. So that's kind of what how I've been thinking, and that's been a healthy shift for me sure. because going through thinking that I needed to fight people mm. was really having an impact on. My, you know, going into places fearful. Yeah, you know, if one thinks someone has to fight, one goes in with fear. Then I'm acting out of fear. I mean, human beings acting out of fear isn't a good place for us to be doing anything. That's right. So I had to shift myself first, so I'm not acting out of fear. So then I can help the other person engage with me out, outside of fear. Or between groups, we need to think about how do we help groups engage outside of fear. And I just see a lot of fear right now. So that's how it's shifted. That's how it's helped my mental health. Well, and that is, that, that is a critical piece. <laughs> I, um, I so appreciate the reframe of fighting because even for me, as I am 
engaging, you know, with clients that we work with or even in my capacity formally um, internally with Milwaukee Rep as the chief diversity officer, I needed to bring in empathy. And while I believe that there's an unapologetic stance for equity that we can hold and we can be boldly, the reframing of it not being at war, (laughs) I really do appreciate that because it's about engagement. It's about recognizing you know, how we are connected together, our experience, our lived experience is certainly going to be different, but how we engage in this work together is the critical point. And we're dependent on each other for that. There's no question. What gives you hope? I love that you've talked about reframing and what it means to engage in this work that you're doing within your organization and so many practitioners in this space we know that we have to be refueled. (laughs) We know that in order to come back and do this day in and sometime hour by hour, there's something that has to drive you to continue doing it. What gives you hope? I mean, it varies. (laughs) I mean, there's, there's some days when I'm like, what am I doing? And what are we really accomplishing here? And where am I really going? And I guess what gives, what's given me hope has been really my team, you know, the team that I've been able to build at MCW, interacting with people inside and outside of MCW who really genuinely want to be people who are, are contributing to other people's lives, not just their life. And when I meet those people, that's what gives me hope. We still have givers in the world. It, it, we're not a complete, it's not a complete takeover of the takers. <laughs> you know? So, you know, having a chance to identify and connect with those givers, you know, building a team around those principles and how we go out and do our work, just those flashes of interfaces with people. Final question for you. You alluded to this a little bit earlier, but we got to know what's on your readers list. What are you listening to besides on the edge of equity podcast? What else are you listening to? (laughs) You know, I um, just finished listening to, I think it's called asking good questions. Mm. And it was a good refresher for me from some of my facilitation training and, you know, letting the question come to you as opposed to coming in with an agenda, you know, around asking questions and getting to know people deeply. So I I finished that audio book. And just to escape, (laughs) listen to Conan O'Brien needs a friend. (laughs) That show is completely useless. (laughs) But sometimes that's just what we need, right? (laughs) Yeah, but but he has intriguing guests, you know, with very eclectic backgrounds. And so I like listening to people who have these backgrounds and experiences that are so different from mine. Mm. Uh, so that's been my, you know, guilty pleasure in, in season 14 of RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> oh, now we're going into cable shows. Okay, let's go. <laughs> no, I just pick them all up on my television app. So that's like the fun part. Like I alluded to... I, I always have like five books that I'm kind of reading parts of at any given sure. time. But um, yeah, that's what I've been, uh, to, uh, <laughs> that's what's been occupying my, you know, downtime space. Yeah, whenever you get a chance to have that, right? <laughs> 
in this yeah. work. Yeah. The long drives in the car, you know, switch on the audio book. Yeah. Well, let me just take another moment and opportunity to thank the wonderful Dr. Greer Jordan, who I consider a friend and colleague, um, but just also just an amazing leader in this space. Um, who, when I took on the role at Milwaukee Rep, she was one of my first phone calls to say, how am I going to do this? <laughs> so thank you again for, <laughs> it absolutely was. I'm pulling for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, But I just want, again, to appreciate you. Thank you for taking time to be with us today for your insight, for the work that you continue to do at the medical college and beyond your commitment in this community. We are grateful to have you. And again, we are grateful for all of you who've tuned in, have listened to On the Edge of Equity. We ask that you stay tuned for our next podcast. Until next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Edge of Equity. Please join our email list at info at athenacommunicationsllc.com so you don't miss a single episode. The link is also in the show notes. You can also support the show by sharing it on social media with your personal and professional networks, suggesting guests and topics for us to spotlight and engaging in crucial conversations about systems change. Thank you.